1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
0: Hi,
2: I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult. And yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere.
3: Good morning and welcome to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And this is your Southern Remedy program where you can call in with any type of question that you might have about the health of yourself or someone in your family or even a friend. Or if you're not able to call, we encourage you to email your questions. You can email those to remedy at mpbonline.org. I hope everybody's having a great morning, and uh, certainly it's a little bit cooler out there right now with a little uh, cloud cover. Uh, Sort of a uh, tropical-type situation that most of the state's in with lots of late-afternoon thunderstorms and uh, hot, muggy conditions. Still want to encourage everybody for your health to stay safe. If you have special, uh, healthcare needs or chronic medical conditions that would impede, uh, you getting outside, make sure you take, um, take precautions. Uh, if you have to get outside and that might affect you more, make sure it's at times of the day where you can be a little cooler. That's usually earlier in the morning is probably the best time. Uh, but, uh, also later in the afternoon might cool off a little bit too. Let's say, stay safe out there and, uh, Make sure you're taking care of yourself and anybody else in your home that would need to uh, to have those special uh, special precautions. It's also a good time to take note of what you have in your uh, pantry or what you have on your shelf or cabinet in the way of medications. Um, I, uh, a lot of people clean those out from time to time, but it's a very good idea, particularly if you have younger kids or if you have kids that are coming over. You know, summertime is a time where. There's a lot of uh, opportunity to visit uh, family, and sometimes if you're going to grandma or grandpa's, uh, that uh, you might uh, have to carry your kids with you, and uh, they may not be thinking about that. They may have their medications out on the counter and, uh, or even in pill boxes, which are a little bit easier to get into than childproof uh, containers. Make sure that they're aware of that, or if you've got grandkids coming over, uh, because they love. They're like we ought to put. Uh, You know, all of our kids and grandkids in charge of finding any kind of treasure. If you've ever lost something in the house and they're old enough to understand what you've lost, uh, put them on the task and they will probably find it before you will. But they will get into those little containers and some of those medications do look like candy. So um, it's uh, not uncommon during this time of the year to see sort of an increase in uh, accidental poisonings uh, that, that you might have. So you really want to be careful about that and uh, take some precautions to, uh, to put those up um, and make sure they're in place where they can't get to, uh, to them. Same thing with your home. If there are, you know, uh, electrical hazards or other hazards, firearm hazards, certainly uh, that that would be something to think about too. If you've got people that are um, that are coming to visit you, or if you're going somewhere else, you might want to prompt them about that and say, "Hey, got these young kids coming; they're going to get into everything in your house." Uh, you might want to uh, secure <laughs> secure batten down the hatches, so to speak, about any kind of um, any kind of um, uh, uh, type of, of hazard that they might get into. Let's go to our first caller, Michael from Waveland. Good morning, Michael.
1: Hey, how you doing?
3: Good. What's your question this morning?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I've never had it done, and I'm 73 years old, and I need to uh, have my prostate checked. Okay. What kind of doctor would I go to?
3: Yeah, so there's several different ways to do that for general screening, and I'm I'm... You know, I'm guessing that you don't have any symptoms, so to speak, but this is for potential like, problems just overall?
1: Um, it's actually preventive medicine I'm yeah. thinking about doing. And also, I, I did have an issue a couple of times where I was sore um, uh, at the number two place. Sure. And I uh, decided maybe I should have all that checked.
3: Yeah, I I would say um, the first person would probably be either a family medicine or internal medicine physician. Um, That is a the prostate gland is one that, you know, we've sort of described it before. But um, for those who who didn't hear that on prior programs, basically, it wraps around your urethra, which is the tube that connects your bladder to the outside. And only men have it. So women do not have a prostate. Um, but it um, has several different functions. Um, but uh, as you get older, males, almost all of us will have um, a, a narrowing of that uh, urethra, because the prostate gets bigger with age. And uh, if it narrows that Um, To an extreme uh, amount, you can have an increased amount of urine that's in your bladder. And once it gets to a certain pressure, then you can have some overflow. That's why there's increased symptoms of going to the bathroom at night uh, as that prostate gets bigger or maybe even the urge to urinate but not fully emptying your bladder or some hesitancy about uh, urinating or uh, you're having some dribbling there. So those are the most common causes of prostate enlargement. Of course, there is a risk, too, of uh, prostate cancer. Um, So, uh, again, it's one of our uh, cancers that is pretty good from a treatment standpoint, and it is a very slow-growing cancer. So if it's one that even if you've had, you know, depending on what your age and risk are, uh, once they've identified what type of tumor, there's not just one type of prostate cancer, but there's some staging that's involved with that. Um, then at that point you can, um, you know, sort of determine what's the best treatment and sometimes just watching it, um, uh, over months or years is the best treatment for that. But as far as just overall prevention, you know, there's three different types of prevention. One is preventing if you're totally healthy and you want to prevent some things from popping up. That's called primary prevention, which it sounds like there, this might be some primary prevention here at 73. And uh, there's a couple of different ways to test for that uh, when you're talking about prostate uh, one is a a lab test, a blood test, the, called a PSA, a prostate-specific uh, antigen. And um, that is a measure of some of the substances that the prostate gives off that secretes, and you can test for that. Now, you need to be careful with that, particularly as you get older. Uh, if you don't have symptoms, you can have, again, that, that PSA can get at an elevated level, just by being older and your prostate's bigger, it doesn't necessarily mean if you have a an elevated uh, number of PSA that you have prostate cancer, but it is one of the tools. Another tool is a digital rectal exam. So that's where a physician will um, insert a finger uh, up your rectum and palpate or feel the prostate uh, with a glove, of course. Uh, so we'll feel the prostate contour to make and size. So that there you can definitely feel both of those on exam. Um, that's, that's one that, you know, a lot of men will say, no, I'm not going to have that done. Um, but those are the two most common screening techniques. And if you have a physician, um, again, family medicine, internal medicine, that does those fairly frequently, they should be fine. Now, some people will say, well, I don't know if I just trust that. I want somebody who does a lot of those. Then a urologist uh, with a, U, uh, a urologist would be the person to go to, and they can do the same thing. But if you're talking about primary prevention, that's sort of where you, you would go first.
1: Okay, that sounds like a plan. Yeah, my I, I was at the doctor last week, and she um, – uh she had uh the lab do some blood work on me so mm-hmm. and i and i think one of them was the psa i think you mentioned right and, and uh and i think I'll, I'll be getting results in a few days
3: yeah and if that's you know you may the other thing to to keep in mind is you know if the number is elevated And again, there's different numbers based on your age, and there's no absolutes in that. But if it's elevated, it may mean that your prostate is just enlarged. It doesn't necessarily mean that you would have prostate cancer. The, The opposite is also true. So if the PSA is normal, there is a small subset of patients who may already have prostate cancer But that is a normal one. It's just that you have to know with every test like that, you really have to know, because a lot of people will come in, I'll have patients come in and say, I want my PSA, what's my PSA, what's my PSA? And from time to time, that PSA may go up and then come back down with infection. You mentioned you might have had a a problem with yours in the past. That's pretty common, too. You can have um, a a prostatitis, which is just an, an inflammation in the prostate. Usually from bacterial infection that's treated with antibiotics. Sometimes they'll sort of monitor that PSA after treatment. So it can be a lot of different things that can affect that. So knowing that going into it, I think, is helpful. And um, in younger individuals, say 50 and below, it's not, really, um, it's not really indicated to get, it's not the best test as a screen. So in other words, if you were in your 40s or early 50s and you have absolutely no symptoms and you don't have a family history of prostate cancer, that may not be the best test to get uh, as an overall screen. But again, if you get older, you know your risk goes higher, but you also have to combine it with other things. So basically, Michael, when you get that PSA back, you may want to just, you know, if it's high, she's probably going to send you to a urologist uh, just to sort of follow up. And they may want to do some other tests uh, further down the road. Once you get to the specialist, then they can do things like there's actually some MRI and ultrasound uh, that are combined that can show you the anatomy of the, uh, the structure of the prostate and any irregularities in what's going on inside there. And then, of course, if there is a high suspicion that you might have prostate cancer, then they can do biopsy, and even biopsies are a whole lot better than they used to be um and they can be combined too with imaging so that they can pinpoint the areas that um that they want to biopsy without doing a lot of damage to the rest of the of the surrounding tissue
1: All right, okay, yeah uh, I should be getting my p s a results like I said in in a few days, hopefully, okay. Yeah, and also I had talked to you last week. I'm the one that hurt my back.
3: Oh, yeah, I thought you sounded familiar. Your voice sounded familiar. That's right.
1: Yeah, and I did the ziplock with the ice and the towel around it, and my back, uh, like, straightened out within, like, three days.
3: Awesome. That's great. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, you know, we we tend to jump on all kinds of complex things, and even I'm guilty of it too sometimes, but those old just basic things of heat or ice – depending on the situation uh, and conservative therapy. It really does work a lot of the time.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you, Doctor. I really appreciate your time and effort with me.
3: You are most welcome. Thank you, Michael, for calling. We're going to go to Ann in West Tennessee. Good morning, Ann.
4: Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Jimmy. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Okay. First of all, I love your show and learn so much from it all the time. Um, Thank you. I just wanted to... you're welcome and um, thank you for being there um just briefly um i've i'm seventy four years old and I've swam underwater all my life, but on May tenth I was just having a long mysterious bath and and I just had my head under the water for a while well, since then my I have had constant noise, kind of like the ocean in my right ear, and then I've had equilibrium vertigo kind of issues like when I'm walking like standing up or bending down to pick something up and like if I'm turning over in bed, slight nausea, I try not to move too fast. I thought it was swimming's ear initially and got an OTC med for that eardrop. Saw my PCP. She prescribed some stronger eardrops. They didn't help either and she really believed that the inner ear issues so she referred me to ENT and audiology evaluations. I'm going to a clinic for that. My question is is I've never ever had any experience any ear ear issues. And is this just a quirky kind of coincidence that I was underwater and then all this happened or is it not related at all? And also I was just wondering when I go to these evaluations, what what do you expect, what can a patient expect as far as like, you know, what tests they run and if they can, you know, treat something on the spot or, you know, that sort of thing, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, that that's a great question, and um, certainly I agree, it does sound like this is more of, a, of an um, inner ear type problem of something on the other side of the eardrum. Normally, the eardrum sort of protects that space and your eustachian tube, which is the drainage and sort of equilibration uh, canal and the way that the body equilibrates that space – that drains into Mm -hmm. the back of your throat or up high. So um, as long as those two things are intact and working, usually you don't have problems with, um, you know, with inner ear, with stuff getting in there. Now we all have bacteria in that space from time to time. It's not totally sterile and it's just sort of because it's connected to the back of the throat and we have bacteria in our mouths and our throats and, and nasal passages, so sometimes you can get infections. It's a little little less likely once you get older, and that's more of not because of you've got a better immune system or anything. It's because that eustachian tube in kids is smaller in diameter, and also it doesn't. Um, it's got a little bit different anatomy. It uh, once we get older, gravity sort of helps to have things drain. Um, But if you're swimming, usually that's not a problem. And you're right. Most of the problems with swimming uh, occur from the outer canal. Uh, So you get swimmer's Mm -hmm. ear or external otitis media is the fancy name we use for it. But that that (laughs) doesn't sound like what we're dealing with here. Unless you might have, you know, uh, if you have trauma to the eardrum, and I don't really see a reason why you would have that, then you could get water Mm -hmm. into the inner ear cavity. So that's also why kids with uh tympanostomy tubes with ear tubes that go through the tympanic membrane the eardrum to help equalize that space and provide a sort of a pop-off valve when you do get ear infections in there they don't need to go underwater unless they have earplugs in uh, because you'll introduce water in there so i think you're on the right track of where you're going the symptoms you you described are something that usually is due to a problem with the uh, semicircular canals in the inner ear, and their job is to uh, uh, well, two things there's they're right there by the um, the nerves that interpret um, sound and transmit that to your brain. but then they determine they're one of the ways that your your body determines where it is in space. so, are you lying down? Are you sitting up? Have you turned your head to the left or the right? Um, all of that. That's why if you put somebody, you know, on a uh, fair ride that goes round and round or you spin them around in the playground while they get dizzy, even when they stop and while everything is turning around, it's because you've overwhelmed that system.
4: The, the semicircular right.
3: canals. So getting up from bed or turning your head to one direction, that sounds like that's what's going on. And those, that mechanism can be caused by any number of things. Usually that's called BPPV, which is benign uh, paroxysmal positional vertigo. Um, it can be initiated by a viral infection, but it doesn't have to be. And there's some very specific things that the ENT can show you. That and there's there's one set of maneuvers that they can do in the office. And actually, you don't have to be an ENT to do this. If somebody who's who's versed in doing it, and you can reproduce the symptoms, um, and that's pretty positive in saying that that's what's going on there. But then there's Mm -hmm. another set of maneuvers that they can do in the office and show you how to do at home if the symptoms come back. And usually that sort of resets Mm -hmm. things. Sometimes medication, yeah, sometimes medications help. Like um, Mm -hmm. if you have, you know, some, if you have like a viral infection or something that started this and you have a little bit of fluid in the inner ear, sometimes things like antihistamines can help or decongestants can help sort of dry that space up. But generally speaking, the maneuvers are the biggest thing. Now, the, the audiology, um, you know, that's uh, that may be a little bit more than what you need, but it's not a bad idea because there are certain medical conditions that go along with hearing loss and vertigo. Um, so you want to, you know, sort of rule those out. But I think you're on the right track. The ENTs, particularly the ones that sort of subspecialize in this area, they're the ones that are the experts and can treat you for that.
4: Okay, okay. And I just thought it was it was not fair that all of a sudden I lost all my hearing in my right ear is what the doctor said in the in the exam room and hardly any hearing in my left and then I get all this noise twenty five eight. It's just like really bizarre, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, and
3: and you may um, have had some damage to that to that nerve that can be transient and come back, but they probably need to, mm-hmm. you know, that's that that does make sense with the with the um, audiology with the, the formal hearing testing just to see if it's, you know, to what extent you have that, and they may want to do yeah. just a heads up once you go, they may want to do some imaging of that area. Too because sometimes Mm -hmm. there can be things that are that push on that nerve. Uh, There is something called an acoustic neuroma, which is a slow growing tumor that can push on the nerve. Uh, It is treatable. Um, uh, Again, it's you know, it is another slow growing uh, growth that sometimes they'll just watch for a while, depending on, on how big it is and the impact of it. But that's right. that's some of the things that they're probably going to talk to you about and make sure that they're, you know, sort of checking off their list.
4: Right. Well, I also thought, you know, you're, there's always a silver lining, and I thought because of my age, it doesn't hurt to get a really thorough um, examination and see, you know, I think I had some, you know, how you think you're missing something sometimes anyway, yeah. just, just make sure that, that that you're good to go
3: overall. So, yeah, and sometimes we end up. Very small symptoms can end up being an indicator of other things going on, and we we have a term for that when uh, when they're not directly related. Those are called incidentalomas. Um, so it's not really an official term, I guess, but an incidentaloma example would be if you had something like this and they did a CT scan of your head and that space and they saw something else in a different area that they picked up on oh like, my. a, so, you know, they may not be related, but sometimes you do pick those up and, um, and you know, incidentally a lot of people would say, can I just get a full body MRI yearly? And, uh, I would say no, because we really don't have a good, um, That's not a good test. And actually, they've looked at this, you know, the expense with that Mm -hmm. um, for the patient and for for everything doesn't really give you a big yield. And we end up chasing a lot of stuff. I I can't tell you how many times I've had a patient that they complained of one thing, uh, like a cough. We got a chest Mm X-ray and we saw a lesion in their liver. And then we got an ultrasound of the liver and then they recommended an MRI of the liver. And then we did more testing for that. So sometimes you chase these things and it doesn't really help overall, you know, Mm -hmm. in your overall health. But I think you're right. I think in this case, you definitely have symptoms that need to be checked out. They need to, you know, the way we look at things is we want to cross things off the list of possibilities that are the most serious or the easiest to treat first and then get specific about what exactly it is to Something, treat
4: it. Um, that, that, that triggered an experience with my last pregnancy in 84. I had a really severe ear infection at the end and the pressure was so great that it just like popped this cotton ball out of my ear mm-hmm. and then the doctor said, you may have you know you may have some issue with that down the road, but um, yeah, so is I don't that, was that, that, that the same that, ear? I, I think it wasn't, you yeah. know, it was so long ago. You can't
3: that. Yeah, and it's possible that that eardrum, I mean, they're going to do a direct visual, visualization of that eardrum too uh, in the office, so that's that's pretty easy to see in most people unless they've got some obstruction there. So they'll do that, too, just to get a good look at it, just to see if it's got any damage to it.
4: Well, anyway, uh, thank you so much. for And I love your incidental omas. I just think mm-hmm. that's a great point. Phrase that just yeah to you. not
3: not something I made up but something that we we use in the medical field uh, quite often right. to, to describe right.
4: that well well I don't want to take any any more time but thank you so much for being there and you are just the
2: best oh so.
3: thank you Ann we appreciate it and thank you for calling this is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio I'm Dr Jimmy Stewart with you this morning answering your questions about any kind of healthcare topic that is. Uh, bothering you, bugging you, all kinds of different things we uh, this uh, you know a lot of times we'll have themes, but rarely do we have a theme on uh, on Wednesdays unless you determine that theme. So whatever you want to ask about doesn't have to be what the last caller talked about. maybe it's a, a new symptom that you're having, maybe it's a medical diagnosis that you don't quite understand or maybe it's a problem with the medication or a potential question about a side effect. We would be glad to, Try to answer all those questions or point you in the right direction. We're going to go to Fred from uh, Monroeville, Alabama. Good morning, Fred.
2: Hey, good morning, Doctor Jimmy. How are you?
3: Good. Thanks for calling.
2: Well, welcome to the home of To Kill a Mockingbird. By the way, Got to oh,
3: you know, I thought that town name sounded familiar. Where is that in Alabama?
2: Well, you got to be going there to get there, Dr. <laughs> Jimmy, but we will be passing through it. Yeah, it's uh, hundred miles south of Montgomery and a hundred miles north of Mobile. okay, but you're uh, on highway 84 from Mississippi, and you'll be right over here and you'll go right through it.
3: You know, I think I may have gone through that area several years ago. I was on my way to uh, Orange Beach. And um, it, we, there was a horrendous thunderstorm and bad traffic. Um, and I think I just went, I'm not sure if it, if it was any quicker, but I think I went all the way, you know, way north of where I normally go from, from Jackson to get there. And, um, but I may have gone through there. I, I can't remember exactly.
2: Well, next time, stop and shop.
3: All right, I'll keep that in mind. Fred, what's your question for this morning?
2: Let's go back to the prostate problem. I'm 66 years old, and is there any kind of supplements, or what should we do? I go to the bathroom, and I still feel like I need to go to the bathroom.
3: Yeah. There's there's been a couple uh, that have been looked at. Probably the one that's been looked at the most and has a little bit of usefulness uh or at least evidence that it works is saw palmetto. So the the saw palmetto is a plant that's uh actually native to to the southeast. Um and there's an extract that they get from that that can help sort of uh shrink or or you know at least decrease the the size of the prostate. The problem with that is um, it's variable from person to person. So some people might take it and it uh, may see a, a positive effect and some people may take it and not. Um, but that's probably the biggest supplement out there. And there's not really, you know, as far as how much to take, there's not really a standardization of that. So you sort of have to just sort of play around with it. Um it's pretty benign though most people can take that without any kind of side effects or other problems or interactions with other medications that they may be taking the the problem with the prostate or the the mechanism i guess i should say behind all that is the the prostate itself has these receptors that are sensitive to uh hormones so it's a it is uh like many of the pretty much all of our tissues in our body are susceptible to different types of hormones like thyroid hormone or insulin and lots of different substances that are floating around. But um, they are sensitive to, uh, like, testosterone and some of the other derivatives of testosterone. So the higher levels you get of that, generally speaking, over time, it's a slow process over months or years. That prostate can get bigger because of that. And um, in extreme situations, or let's let's say somebody does have prostate cancer, one of the things that they'll do is they'll block those hormone effects to try to uh, decrease the activity of that prostate cancer. Um, So those are things like Lupride or other things that sort of interrupt that cycle and decrease testosterone levels in the body. Uh, That makes that prostate much more susceptible to uh, shrinking or other things that they're giving it. Um, There are other medications that can do that. So things like Flomax is one of them. Uh, There's a couple of more out there like Avodart's another one. And either singly or in combination, they can have localized effects on the prostate to decrease prostate size and decrease your symptoms. But it does take a long time. I know a lot of people take those for a week and they say, well, this didn't work. Um, When I do that, when I prescribe it, I'll say, hey, look, this is going to be like months. Um, And if you have any problems with it, there are, of course, some side effects with those that you have to watch out for. But um, it is a very slow process. So it, it gets big slowly over time and it gets smaller slowly over time, too. But saw palmetto is probably the one that's been looked at the most. A lot of people get confused with, like, cranberry juice. That's actually uh, our cranberry extract. Not so much for the prostate, but it does seem to decrease the amount of urinary tract infections that people get. Um, but that's been studied mostly in women. Um, so just something to keep in mind because I have heard people say, well, I'm taking this um, cranberry extract for uh, for my prostate, and I'll say, well, not much evidence there, but you might want to try out – if you, if you want to try, you know, something – that's an herbal remedy, um, then uh, saw palmetto is probably the best thing.
2: Yes, sir. I'm going to definitely do that. And it's just aggravating more than anything else. Yeah. You know? And,
3: and I, I should say this, too. You know, prostate cancer, um, certainly it's, it sort of fits into that general ca- category of cancers that are you increase your risk by diet. Um, so when we eat more fatty foods or processed foods, high salt contents, all that together, that can, um, that can increase your risk of prostate cancer. We know in populations that have, have, uh, a higher intake of that, they tend to have higher, uh, rates of prostate cancer. So that may be one way to, and the, and the opposite is true too. If you're not eating, you know, if you're in a population that doesn't eat that, then your risk of prostate cancer can go down.
2: No, I'm in the population that does eat that.
3: <laughs> we all are here in the South, right? Yeah. It's hard to get away from that.
2: And uh, Well, listen, I appreciate, I do have a thyroid problem. I take a little pill for a thyroid. Yeah. I did have a heart attack because yeah. I was overweight. So I lost 100 pounds.
3: Good for you.
2: That all now. So with that being said, yeah, that probably, I still eat a little bit wrong, but I do more walking and exercising
3: than I had
2: before the heart of us call Colin. That's great. So, I'm going to try all that, and uh, Dr. Jimmy, I appreciate you more than you'll ever know. Have a blessed day.
3: You too, Fred. Thank you for calling. This is Southern Remedy, Liz in Moselle. Good morning, Liz.
2: Good
0: morning, Dr. Jimmy. How are you?
3: Good. What's your? Uh,
0: I, wish I, could say... I wish I could say the same. <laughs> oh, well, tell me what's uh, going have... on. I've got a degenerative disease, mm. and um, I was, yeah, and I was on, first on 50 milligrams of tramadol four times daily, and then after, oh gosh, uh, maybe a y- over a year probably, oh, probably close to two years on that, uh, she pulled it for me because I <clears throat> I wasn't able to, you know, to get
3: I had a few good hours in the morning, and that was that. Uh, oh, are you there, Liz? Oh. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. You cut out there for a second after you said you had a few hours of relief in the morning, but that was about it. Yeah.
0: And uh, so then, I'm sorry, it's my phone. It does It's the hole that I live in here. No. I had the um, same problem. <laughs> At any rate, uh, actually, I'm actually sitting out in the pasture, so I can make it work at all.
3: Yeah, I have one <laughs> spot in my house that's probably the best there. So,
0: yeah, yeah, okay. So she uh, last time, which been about I've been on it for about six weeks now. She switched me to hydrocodone with and I'm taking one tablet um, three times daily. And I take uh, an extra strength Tylenol about an hour or so before each of the, the hydrocodone ones. And I don't know if it's any better or not, but it does make me dopey. Yep. Is there anything? I, I mean, I'm not supposed to expect to, to be painless. I understand that. But man, it would be nice to have to be able to do stuff. I, I was always.
3: An athletic person, and now I can't. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I think there are a couple of things, and I'm just going to assume that you haven't tried other things yet. Um, you you hit the nail on the head. The first thing in treating chronic pain like this, and you know, as we get older, we're all going to have a little bit of wear and tear type of arthritis, and it can be in different places with different people. The most common places your hands, your dominant hand, your thumb, just because you use it a lot. But back pain can be one of those. And um, the goal, if if the goal is that you don't have any pain, that's probably not going to happen. And that can be a frustration with a lot of people. So goal setting is important to do that with your physician and with your treatment team. But, you know, I think your goals, it sounds like, are right on the money. The goal is to try to decrease the pain as much as possible. But the biggest thing is to increase function where you can do yeah. things and you may not can do things, you know, to the same extent that you did when you were 18, probably very few of us can, but doing those things are important. So I always ask my patients about that. What are the things that really, you know, you want to do? And they'll say things if we really get specific about it, it's like, I want to be able to, to bend down and pick up my grandkids. I want to be able to do my housework. I want to be able yeah, to go yeah. outside and walk, or, or plant a garden and sort of tend to oh, it. Yeah. So that's that's the things that are most important and mean the most. Now you've found that you know this is sort of when you treat chronic pain like this. Sometimes things will work, and sometimes they won't. Tramadol is uh, does treat the pain. It is similar in its effect to some of the hydrocodone derivatives, but it acts a little bit differently, and. Um, if that doesn't, you know, if that's not working, it's not surprising to me that the hydrocodone or oxycodone derivatives uh, that, that you've tried with the Tylenol in there have not, you know, worked much better. And the trick is at that point, you know, a lot of people, hopefully after a short course of that, um, what we found out about uh, about some of the oxycodone and opioids, other opioids that are in that category They really don't work very well um, for they work very well for acute pain, but there is a fairly high risk um, of things and or or side effects, too. And you've you've listed that, you know, you sort of feel dopey or and, and that impedes what you want to do, too. I mean, the pain may be decreased a little bit, but it sounds like that's not really working well for you. There are a couple of other medications that can – they're not in the same class, and they've been used fairly successfully for a lot of people. Uh, one is gabapentin or neurotin is the name oh, of that. I'm,
0: I'm, 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 I'm on that, too, because I have okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
3: So that's, that's one. Lyrica is in the same sort of class as that one. Those, over time, can be helpful, particularly I've found that at night, if you've had a lot of a pain at night – and then there are some other medications that are, have been used for uh, depression and anxiety. What they found in, in patients that were treated for that who had chronic pain, their chronic pain got better. So now they have an indication for the chronic pain. Cymbalta is one, um, and it's pretty well tolerated. That's with the a C, C-Y-M-B-A-L-T-A. Symbol.
0: Um, I don't have I I don't have a pen and
3: paper. Oh, okay. Uh, just think about. <laughs> if I
0: don't remember. I listen Sunday. <laughs> well,
3: this is the way my memory works best. If I remember something else and I have a visualization of it, so just think of the symbols in a in a band okay. or a drum set. Simbalta. Simbalta. Okay. okay. Um. So that's that's um, that may be one way to to think about it. But that would be one that would be fairly safe and might get you some some more relief. And then beyond that, there's all kinds of other things. Um, I find that physical therapy works wonders, um, at least to alleviate pain. It is, you know, only six weeks or so of that. But um, you can learn how to do things and you can get repeated treatments that are very specific um, that can be things like uh, dry needling. It can be um, um, muscle fascial releases um, that they can do in in uh, in the clinic in the physical therapy clinic. It can be things like um, heat or cold to the area that might help. Um, so, coming up with a regimen like that can be very useful, or a tens unit. So that's like one that, that has a low, uh, low amount of uh, low voltage that they put through the area. I, that can I, have... I,
0: I did, I did try a uh, tens, uh, you know, pens made for home use.
3: Yeah, and um, and sometimes those aren't,
0: and, and it, it, it irritated the uh, the uh, yeah, you know it, it made so. Yep. So I I had to toss that out.
4: Yeah, and now
0: when I did go to the physical therapist, uh, I, he probably wasn't a, a, a real good one. He was not his fault though. A Lovely man in a little bitty hospital, and he used a he used a a hot he wrapped a tend unit in like hot towels. Mm-hmm. And, and put them under my back. And that, uh, I mean, I know it sure made me feel better at least while he was doing it. Right, <laughs> right. I can't go around wearing one of those all no. the time. <laughs> and and maybe, I, you know, I mentioned trying to be the therapist to my pain doc, and uh, she just kind of, you know, she didn't take it any farther. So maybe I should put
3: that, huh? Yeah, I think I would. Um, because there's lots of other things that they could do, and particularly in, with a pain specialist. I, I'm just not a fan. You know, I've been treating patients for pain since the 90s, since I was in residency. And, um, you know, pain medication, uh, we used to use a lot more of it, and now we've seen sort of what yeah. the effects of that are. And if you're really honest, like you, you were from the get-go, It really didn't do that much different. You know, if patients say, hey...
0: it, it didn't make me high, either. It just made right. me dope. Right. So I, you know, dope so, so that's,
3: <laughs> well, that's a risk, though, if you think about it, because it impedes your balance, your coordination. You could fall. You could break a hip. You could do, you yeah, know, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of other things besides the, the, you know, the sort of getting hooked on it is what people would, you know, refer to. But, yeah,
0: yeah.
3: yeah there's a lot of other things I think they could do that okay. might have some impact.
0: Cymbalta.
3: Yeah, simbalta Simbalta.
0: And, and I live close to, my my pain doctor is in Hattiesburg. I live I, just down the Highway 59 from me. Yeah. So I'm sure I could find a good physical therapist in, in Hattiesburg.
3: Yeah, ask around and see. I, I think it's a good idea, too, to ask the pain specialist because they're probably going to know somebody, or usually there's like one or two people that are like, if you can get in to see this person, they're the best. So, okay. yeah, and that's the way to ask it. Who's the best physical therapist that you know that, uh, really, you know, can give me some some uh, some special treatment in this area.
0: And Medicare pays,
2: right?
3: Yeah, they should. Now, you do have some limits okay. with that, but if you have, um, yeah. you know, even in the same year, they can just sort of re-up it if it's, you know, if there's so a yeah. good indication.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, I sure do appreciate your help. I will, symbalta is emblazoned in my okay. mind. <laughs> I appreciate
3: that. <laughs> all right, Liz. Thank you for calling and uh, good luck to you. We appreciate it. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think, Think Radio. Not thank, thank you. I was thinking of thanking everybody, but this is Think Radio. And uh, we've been answering a lot of questions about all kinds of good things. Just love the questions uh, that come in. And uh, your comments and questions are what makes this program great. Um, if you didn't get a chance, and maybe before you forget about it, if you're like me, you got a busy day, other things, do email us. Uh you can email those questions to remedy at mpbonline.org. Got one more thing we can squeeze in here in the next minute or so, but uh, you know, I had this question come up uh, with a uh four-year-old that uh recently had uh an, a fever, an illness that they got over but then had some coughing after that uh, that's lasted about a week or two and uh, they also have sort of chronically a lot of allergies to things so they've got a lot of skin allergies but they don't have asthma so this is common we have a lot of kids that uh, have what's called sort of the atopic diseases so that's asthma eczema um, allergic rhinitis and all of those things can sort of uh cohort together. And sometimes they'll need a little bit of treatment like they have asthma in the, um, you know, the days to a couple of weeks after they've had an illness like that. But basically, in this situation, if they had a little virus that they got a little bit of cough with that, um, they're a little bit more sensitive and might have some wheezing or chronic cough that could persist. So if your child's doing that, just check with your pediatrician. There might be uh, you know, a couple of things that they could do to sort of bridge that gap where they're getting over it. doesn't necessarily mean that they've had a relapse. It's just that they're Uh, tissues or lung tissue is a little bit more sensitive than uh, their uh, friends. That's about all the time we have for today. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at UMMC. Southern Remedy is produced by Kevin Farrell and the podcast producer is Abram uh, Nanny. You can tune in to MPB Think Radio every weekday morning at 11
1: from the full Southern Mimini lineup. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.